Hello world, welcome to the High Paying Bastards. We are your hosts, Ian and Ari. Here we will discuss anything related to video game culture, so please take a seat and join us. <laughs> uh, I never understood that reference properly. But hey, Ian, welcome to this new episode of High Pings Bastards. How are you doing, my man? Ari, I am alive and well still. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How's your hangover? Do you still have it from the last week? Yeah, it was a week-long hangover. It was terrible. Um, I died and I got resurrected. So That's good. You yeah. do look like a Jesus Christ if people don't know yet. You <laughs> no. do have that Jesus Christ vibe going on. The son of God, savior of mankind, the sacrificial lamb kind of vibe going on. That's good. That's w- good. I wouldn't go that far, but okay. Thank you. I'll take it as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, last time Beatles did that, they almost got crucified, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But hey, news. 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 <laughs> news one. All right, let's start with the news number one, Ian. It's from the Kotaku.com. The IGN staff announced a new union amid the hectic media landscape. The editorial and creative workers at the popular video game and entertainment site IGN announced that they are unionizing as IGN Creators Guild and joining the News Guild CWA. The website, which has grown into the biggest video game outlet in the world and one of the most popular entertainment sites on the internet, with over 470 million monthly visitors in December 2023 alone, and the staff who are now responsible for that success are now forming in a union called the IGN Creators Guild. So that's good for them, in my opinion. I think a lot of the push are coming from, like, you know, not just from journalism, but like video game industry in general as well, is that there's a need for a lot of the people who are involved in this industry to start grouping together and represent their interest rather than being railroaded and overworked by their corporate overmasters, right? Yeah, for sure. Good to see it. Dude, who did we talk about just like last episode or the episode before? Was it the voice actors one? Yes, uh, we, we did talk about? about the voice actors, but they were represented under the SAG after union. But yeah, we were talking about like how the voice actors were not exactly properly kind of referenced or like, you know properly represented in the new deal regarding AI technology being able to replace their talent but i think overall they're ironing those deals out and etc so we'll see where that leads but this is a unionization regarding not just like the writers of the site but like there are many people who make videos and contents for ign as well and ign whether you like them or not they're very central part of the gaming culture because of how much people rely or at least uh, read their reviews their news their journalism and articles and etc so this is a little bit different than the uh, voice actress union but it is a similar trend on that end yeah uh, i mean ign's been around forever now i mean ever since the early days of the internet i feel like so it's good to see that they're finally you know their writers and stuff are finally unionizing to kind of stick up for themselves again one of the things that they want to protect against is generative ai and similar tech. So, you know, just AI generated chat, chat GBT stories or whatever. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I know it is kind of a meme sometimes when we look at video game scores from IGN and stuff, because it seems like it's all over the place at times. But I mean, they're still a little reliable when it comes to it. You know, they do provide a pretty decent service when they're given early review copies. Exactly. They're most of the time the primary source of news when it comes to independent 
journalism for video game industry, which, you know, is not going to get covered by New York Times a lot or is not going to get covered by major news outlets. So you need some dedicated people who are doing the actual journalism. You know, you and I are sitting here kind of reviewing their stuff all the time because they are the ones who are putting foots on the ground and really doing a lot of work. And when we try to talk about it, we should definitely source them up and we include the source of the news, everything into our uh, source description and et cetera. But people like us and many streamers and many other content creators depend upon the legwork that IGN is providing. So it's good to see that hopefully they get what is due to them, like a fair and competitive pay, more protection from layoffs and all the things that are happening in the game industry, a little bit more protection from that end and really support for a lot of their overworked employees who have to go to Comic-Con and stuff like that. So it is a good idea on IGN staff to start being ahead of all of the things that are coming up. And IGN, you know, because they have to stay so close to game industry and game industry are all located in the high cost of living area, you need these people to have enough ability to support themselves when they're working for video game industry. So they're trying to get ahead of a lot of things on that end from cost and from benefits perspective. So all the best to them. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I know who I'm siding with, you know, unions. Hopefully they do the best in representing these people here. Yeah, I mean, I feel like unions have got kind of a bad rap, especially nowadays where there's so many like anti-union stuff and union busting, like with Amazon and stuff like that. So, but I mean, we're just talking about proper representation to people, you know, people that are exploited in these certain sectors of industry. You know, they need someone looking out for them because, I mean, a lot of times big corporation, if they can take advantage of stuff, guess what? They're going to take advantage of stuff. So, see, you're absolutely right. You know, unionization, you know, it has been getting bad rap. I don't want to get into like real politics or anything yeah. like that on that end. But unionization is usually a, like a reaction to what has been happening in the industry, which is exploitation of workers and et cetera. Not, I'm not talking about like, you know, some third world country like sweatshop exploitation, but like people who are not being compensated for the huge amount of effort and work that they have to do and the entire industry relies on, but they're not properly compensated for what they have to put in. So this unionization will be, in my opinion, a good trend towards all the backlash that union union have been getting since like 80s. So now it's time to kind of bring forward a little bit more unionization in our, not just in gaming market, but in other areas of our economy as well. And to have workers be properly rep- represented uh, in the market. So we'll see where it leads, but all of the best to IGN people. You know, they, Whether you like them or not, they do put in a lot of actual real journalism and work in their area. And they have some of the funniest reviews I've ever read for movies. Uh, you should read the review for Argyle. I mentioned it last episode, yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it's wild. I think it's one of the best reviews I've ever read. It's more entertaining than the movie itself, but I'll, I'll just say that. Moving on, we got some uh, news from Reuters here. Tencent's working on a mobile version of Elden Ring, some sources have been claimed to say. So they're working on a mobile Elden Ring. Um, So they've worked on a couple other things, too. Uh, They did an Apex Legends one and a Nier Automata one. Uh, both of those were actually axed, so they were never released. The near one was axed in December over monetization concerns. So to me, that kind of says like they couldn't really figure out how to monetize it all that well. To me, you know, I I don't have a good feeling about this. I mean, we saw Diablo Immortal, which was the mobile Diablo game, heavy monetization, heavy pay to win. Uh, come on, guys, you know, don't you have phones nowadays? It's 2024. Let's uh, let's get with the times. <laughs> But that's the thing, right, Ian? 
that man, however arrogant he sounded at that moment, he is right. You do have a mobile phone. You look at mobile game revenues and etc. There is some point. Now, of course, I'm not going to side with some arrogance automatically, but here's what my opinion on this is, and it might be slightly different than yours. If there is any company out there that can put up something like a PC or like in a console game being turned into a mobile game, it's usually Tencent that can do a decent job at it because you've listed out the games that they have not been successful at it, but the games that they have been successful includes Genshin Impact and PUBG Mobile, which is, you know, of course, those are also like free to play, but with those microtransaction, of course, caveat added to it. Now, they have been making quite a bit of revenue and mobile gaming market, you know, although we can kind of look down on it a little bit, but they're quite important in the countries like China and India where the consoles are not as prevalent as it is in the United States per population or per thousand population. So for these people, like playing it on a mobile game is uh, quite a, not important, but like it's it's much more feasible for them to do so. And Tencent's have done at least some games that have been received good enough kind of like, you know, our vibe or recommendation that if there is any company that should be taking part in it, it shouldn't be from software who does it, but Tencent taking the license from from software and then making it into a mobile game and then trying to give that as a free-to-play and then put the microtransaction in there, right? Uh, I'm not going to be playing it, of course, but knowing that you know some poor kid in China or Africa can play Elden Ring in their smartphone, it really brings tear to my eyes. You know, it's, it's, it's really a touching story for me. Yeah, no, um, I I agree with you. It shouldn't be FromSoft that kind of makes it. It should be Tencent. That way, when it sucks, you know, we can blame Tencent and not FromSoft. So. Exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I feel like, too, you know, PUBG Mobile is huge, right? It, Absolutely. It is, it's gigantic. It's got such a huge following and stuff. I just wonder kind of how they're going to structure Elden Ring and how they really kind of get it to run on your smartphone. But, like, you already... I'm not going to be putting any time on this one. But hey, you know, if it lets people in China and India access it, great. Exactly. I mean, I think it's like, you know, Elden Ring is like a 10-course meal. Putting it in a mobile is like going to be like a fast food version of that 10-course meal or something like that. Of course, it's not going to be as good of a quality as the full game itself, but it will provide people with some basic RPG like it did with the Genshin Impact game and etc. Now, Tencent is in kind of a rut right now their legacy games like PUBG Mobile and Genshin Impact you know, they're not legacy but they have been making decent revenue but they have not been able to hit some good like you know new hits so they're under a little bit of a pressure to deliver a lot more hit games now the reason they're making the Elden game is because they just recently purchased 16% stake on from software so that's how they obtained the licensing or at least discount on that licensing for that game that's why they're going forward with it uh, it's a, Tencent is a big holdings group, you know, one of the biggest companies in China and et cetera. And in China, it's a little bit interesting too. Like they do not allow all the games to come into the market. They can only allow certain games to do so. And Elden Ring having a massive market is something that Chinese government and game regulations might allow the Elden Ring kind of a franchise to come in rather than like any other foreign games to kind of go in there. It's There's a lot of different layers involved when it comes to putting up a game in China. Like there's a lot of uh, regulatory hurdle and 
discontent and discourse between the government and the gaming industry, as we have kind of learned recently about, you know, how they've been interacting to one another and conflicts coming out of those things. So it, it is a very interesting one. It's an area that a lot of, you know, U.S. and Western green developers haven't been fully successful as Tencent is, a domestic market is. So they have to be the one who have to kind of like, you know, do something regarding mobile game for like these big consoles on that end. So it's good that they're the ones doing it, not from software who do not have that kind of capacity, I would say, uh, to put in a mobile game, but we'll see how it kind of comes up. Yeah, I mean, keep your eyes open for it if you're interested. Yeah, exactly. So let's move on to the next news. Disney invests $1.5 billion in Epic to create a persistent universe tied to the one and only... Fortnite. <laughs> what else? Like, what else from Epic Games was it going to have it, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Disney and Fortnite maker Epic Games are teaming up to build what's being described as an expansive and open games and entertainment universe. As part of announcement, Disney revealed that it is investing $1.5 billion in an equity stake in Epic. So that means they're going to have a certain amount of ownership so that they can work together on that end. Now, for Fortnite, of course... This is a massive licensing opportunity, you know, Fortnite, whether people, a lot of people online think that Fortnite has been losing a lot of popularity in the mainstream and streaming universe. In my opinion, if you look at their overall player counts and et cetera, like, you know, they have on average 2 million players by hour, or they have like 25 million player on the month basis. They have been maintaining that level of, uh, player engagement because they've been releasing seasons and live events and etc. They've been trying to bring more and more people into it and keep that interest for a lot of those people who've been playing Fortnite there. And this kind of thing, like the Marvel Knights that they've been doing for a while or like, you know, bringing Lewis Hamilton into the Fortnite mm-hmm. sometimes or like, uh, you know, this Disney deal is going to be, that's what they're trying to use as a way to maintain that popularity in pay player base. So this is a good shot for them to take and let's see how it works with Disney, who are very, you know, stringent about how to provide licenses for their games. So it'll be an interesting marriage to see how it works. Yeah. So you, you talked a little bit about like the constant seasons that they've been doing. So we know they just did the Lego Fortnite, which is a new one that they were doing earlier this year. Um, also, they did Fortnite Festival, which was from like a rock band kind of link up. Also, Rocket Racing, which, of course, is the studio behind uh, Rocket League. So, you know, like you said, they, they're keeping things new and interesting. You got like, I know they got the the no build mode now, which is kind of like the classic just deathmatch or extraction type game or whatever. Um, so it, it's still a really big game and there's still a huge following for it. Of course, it's usually your little Timmy tenders, uh, kids and stuff like that. But the Disney partnership is huge. I mean, we're talking about Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar. I mean, the Avatar, that's a lot of skins and a lot of different customization, you know, being breathed into life with uh, Fortnite. And so it's it's huge. And, True. you know, it's a giant metaverse-like project. So It is. It is basically a giant metaverse. They're trying to create an ecosystem where people can invest their interest and their social aspect and everything into it. It is a giant, like what they're trying to do is like metaverse because Disney has already asked. It's like metaverse that it wanted to do. Like Disney's Dreamlight Valley, it only has about 2,000 players a day compared to 2 million per hour at Fortnite. So I think the Dreamlight Valley might get a- axed uh, for this particular deal, but then again, who knows? And 
The only thing that I am a little bit concerned in regards for the Epic is that it they have not been seeing like a massive jump of like, you know, more people coming in and playing Fortnite. They have been consistent, which is impressive. But in order to maintain that consistency, they've had to do a massive amount of deals and licensing, etc. So to maintain the same amount of people, like 25 million a month or 2 million per hour, they've had to increase the cost that they're going to have to pay in order to maintain that level of player. Now, the, with the Disney deal, it's not going to be free, even if like you know, Disney has an ownership, like an investment in etc. It's not going to be free for Epic to put a lot of these licensed products into their metaverse or you know whatever they want to call it in their world. But it's going to keep increasing the cost to maintain the same level of players. Unless they do something that increases the player base, it's going to get costly and costlier to maintain the same base until a time comes where like, the cost is so much, it's not worth even keeping the same game around anymore. And where is that going to lead Epic to? So it's an interesting arena that Epic is finding itself in from business standpoint. And we'll see like, in how they manage to kind of either conquer, like, you know, overcome that kind of obstacle, whether their cost is going to keep on rising or are they going to branch out to newer franchises maybe and you know, try to see if they can create other games. Maybe their platform and app stores will bring in more revenue. It'll be very an interesting time for Epic to be in. Uh, it's just let's just hope that you know they're not so overrun by costs that they're not able to perform and provide their functions properly. Fortnite too. That's what's next on the horizon for for Epic. I I don't know because like if there's a live service game, I want that live service game to continue in the same. Like in a vein for a long time. Like I'll talk about iRacing a little bit, right? iRacing is a game that I've always wanted to go into, but I've not been able to. But we recently received the news that iRacing will uh, have like a single player, not single player, but like a more career mode with AI and etc., which is more exciting on my end because it'll allow me to get into the iRacing, which is a subscription live service game. But iRacing has been around since 2008. It has updated graphics. It has updated so many parts, but it is still the same game at the DNA. Doing a Fortnite 2, I don't know if it's going to be a good idea compared to like, you know, what happened with Overwatch 2 and the player base around it. Like doing a part two for a live service game might not be as good idea as you might think, you know, like it it might be short term boost, but in the long term, people are like, they're going to make a new version of this game. So why am I going to invest in this live service game? That might be a trouble that might come in. Yeah, it'll be just like bring back Fortnite. (laughs) That's what what happens. It's like the uh, what every star a StarCraft player probably said when the StarCraft two came out. Yeah, but then they all played it anyway, right? It is that's yep. the thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what well, happens. Yeah, we'll see where this deal between Disney and Epic leads to. But uh, until then, it's just like you know, our, our catchphrase was that uh, we'll we'll wait and see, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see what the future holds. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of metaverse type games, we'll move right on from. Fortnite into Roblox. So we got a article here from Game Industry Biz saying that basically Roblox continues to grow revenues but deepens losses. Ari, what does that mean? It means, well, let me go a little bit more in detail, right? So basically, Game Industry Biz is reporting on Roblox is releasing its financial earnings. Right after the earnings were released, uh, the news wasn't so good, and it lost a little bit of its stock value, and which is not that much of a big deal. But 
What Roblox uh, reported was that in its financial results for the fourth quarter and the fiscal year of 2023, is that saying that they're showing the that their revenue and the people that are playing and using Roblox ecosystem has been growing. Their full year revenue went up by 26% to $2.8 billion, but their losses also went up despite their revenue going up to $1.16 billion. Now, oftentimes, you know, your basic corporate math is that if your revenue is going up and you're, you know, cognizant about the cost, your profit should be go up too. But in this case, it's kind of giving a shaky value over what Roblox has planned in the future. Now, in this end, Roblox are blaming their research and development specifically for the increase in cost and the amount of research and development that went into it was related to AI and more robust infrastructure on their end. It increased their cost by about $315 million in just R&D from the last year. They're trying to bank a little bit more on the AI tools. They want to create more AI tools that will help the developers in their ecosystem to create new content and better content. So that's what they've been spending more money on, and it has resulted into a little bit, like if a, for lack of a better word, it's basically a loss on that end. And that's what's gotten a lot of people kind of shaken up about this particular company. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes a little bit of sense. You know, your your earnings go up, but it costs more to run everything, so your losses kind of go up too. I mean, it's a double-edged sword. Like you said, they're, they're seeing growth, which is always a good thing, right? Um, it's just costing a little bit more to, to maintain it. Yeah, they are seeing growth, but it looks like, you know, they're seeing, they just saw like, a, what is this, 71.5 million active users in a month, right? So that's the number that they're saying. It's like, you know, hey, look at this. This is how many people are using it. Their ultimate goal is to bring in about one, 1 billion daily users. That's what they want to get up to. The 71.5 million was for the whole year, I think. I don't think it was in one month. Because it said the fourth quarter, the daily active users grew to 22% year over year to an all-time high, but still totaled out at just 71.5 million. 15.9 million monthly unique players spending an average of $23.65 on the platform each month. Unique, that's in like a, yeah, different different people which is which is huge i mean especially for something like roblox which again has now been out for quite some time you know the fact that it still has this many people still playing it day in and day out i mean that's gigantic but like they want to hit up to like one billion which is what their goal is that is almost unrealistic right yeah yeah i mean i would agree with you there it's it's kind of out there but i mean hey shoot for the moon if you miss you're still amongst the stars right but that's not how astronomy works. <laughs> Moon is closer to us than the stars, you know? Like, that's the point, right? I mean, it, it's kind of crazy. It's like the reason I'm a little bit skeptical about how if they will ever even reach that level is that what it means is every single person in the, not in the world, but like a one-eighth to one-ninth of the world's population needs to be on Roblox. That is their ultimate goal. What it means is that this thing needs to be on every platform out there, mobile, consoles, PC, uh, your AR, VR, your Apple, <laughs> VR, whatever, like, you know, of the shit that you put on your eye, everything it needs to be in there. It needs to replace the real world economy if it needs to have a 1 billion people using it. Like, App Store is a good example, right? App Store is an eco- like an ecosystem where you develop apps and et cetera. That's what Roblox 
is probably trying to aim to be, that is the one that has like 1 billion active daily users and et cetera. That's the level of, you know, uh, ubiquitousness, like how much it needs to spread. It's like it needs to be like an app store, basically. I mean, it kind of kind of is, though. I mean, you got it's a game within a game is what you're doing half the time in Roblox, you know, so... Yeah, and that is what it needs to be. It needs to be the next Apple to get to that level of numbers. So it's good to have like ambition and et cetera. But looking at the overall, like and how it has been doing so far, I don't think this company has the capacity to get there. Now, of course, things can change in the future with new technologies coming in. But as its current financial stance, like the amount of money it makes just from its operation, it only went up by $90 million. That's not a size of, a, that's not a kind of a company that, you know, that's not the kind of growth you need to see. Like the cash flow from operation, it only went up by 90 million compared to the year before in 2022. You need a lot more operational activity and a lot more cash coming in if you want to expand really fast. Right now, what it's called like the current ratio is around 1.07. A really good current ratio is around two. So what it means is that of all the asset it has, can it pay the debt, the current debt it has at the same time? as so the liabilities, like it doesn't have that kind of financial you need from a company that needs to be bringing a lot more cash in order to become a 1 billion active daily user kind of company. Like there needs to be a massive technology shift for this company to get to that number. And it's understandable that they're putting their money in the $315 million in AI in order to get there because I think they're trying to bank in there. Though a lot of that cost, Ian, went to a what is called like the stock-based compensation. Like it went to, I think, to people they wanted to bring in AI researchers and et cetera and give them equity or like in the stocks and as a compensation to get them to come in here, have some investment in Roblox and try to develop a technology regarding the AI. They're doing some like, you know, things that are needed to get to that number, perhaps, but I just don't think they have that energy in their leg or, like, the fire in the foot to get <laughs> there at all. I mean, they're definitely making moves. Um, there are 1 billion daily active users. That's um, that's their long-term goal. So, I mean, I think long-term-wise, they, they can hit it. I think it's more of a slow burn for them. I mean, honestly, all you really need is just a shit ton of fucking kids. Yeah, but, like, those <laughs> kids... Know? That is true. But like those kids need to keep invested in that ecosystem until they're grown ass people. Like that's the thing that they need. It's like you can't have like, you know, people growing out of this ecosystem. They're like, oh, I'm too old for this now. This does not serve me in the real life economy. They need a such an integrated like, you know, world like App Store, like Apple's App Store, which has replaced the real world versions of the economy. Like, you know, Uber replacing taxi and et cetera. Example is like that. That's what they need. And as this company keeps on going up, its liability is going to catch up too. Because Roblox also has what it calls the developer exchange liability. That means it has a currency that it has to refund to equivalent dollar value. And that is where, like, you know, it's going to be its handicap. That's where its liability is going to grow and it's going to hinder it from kind of keep on growing. But it also needs that to grow. It's, a, it's like, you know, it's a very fragile kind of system that it wants to grow into. It's not an easy thing to do, but we'll see whether it gets there or not. But they should be a lot more realistic with their expectation. One billion active daily users, that's something my grandkids might see if they're even still playing Roblox. Yeah, so get on it. Like, 
Where's the where's the kids and grandkids at, Ari? Like chop chop, man. Well, I just went to the store. They're out of. I just went to the store. They're out of it. You know, they just don't <laughs> let you take anymore. After that movie, uh, Sound of Freedom came out, you're not allowed to just pick up kids anymore. You go pick up smokes at the store. I don't know where they're at. <laughs> yeah, well, good luck to Roblox. We'll see how it goes. But that is it's such an interesting. Like that is the one company that is much closer to building a metaverse, an ecosystem online. Even if it's kids, even if it's just games yeah. and development, it is still a economic ecosystem that they're building out there. And let's see if they get there or not. Yeah, I mean, like I think, like you said, they're probably closer than Fortnite to making their own metaverse or whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, exactly, yeah, like a metaverse needs an economy so that people can invest and do long-term investment into if they really want to, you know, proliferate into one billion users daily users, I guess. But moving on, you know, let's focus on your favorite man in the world, Yves Gilmod, the Ubisoft co-founder and CEO. Uh, tell me what he said that you just absolutely love here. I, so we don't have video, but if you could see me shaking my head right now, I mean, the disappointment, man. So the Ubisoft CEO is defending Skull and Bones $70 price tag despite it having a live service leaning Calling this title a quadruple A video game. A A A game. It's like ah game. Yeah. Ah game. Yeah. Uh, it's is that a game, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think with like yeah, the open beta for Skull and Bones just got released pretty recently, so a few people have been able to play some parts of the game and the reception at best can be said it's been kind of a lackluster. It's still it's a game, is what you for lack of a better word, no one can deny and say that it's not a game. That's like the reception it's getting. It's like, yeah, you can play it, but it's not really offering anything interesting, something to hook on to, like, you know, a big game. Not a big, but like, like a uh hookable, a very hooking uh, it's kind of a bad word, I guess, but a game that can hook you. It's not prostituted you. enough. It's not Hell Divers 2 is what I was about to say. Like it is not it's not prostituted enough. That's <laughs> right. What I was saying is like, you know, this is like you know, a game doesn't have as much of a hook to keep you engaged in that game as you might have hoped for a pirate game to be. Uh and plus the fact that it also has a seventy dollar price tag to what is supposed to be according to Yves Kielma, the CEO of Ubisoft, is that it's supposed to be a live service game, but it already has a price tag coming in and you're still going to be paying more in order to continue playing this game with the skins and etc. So people are righteously kind of a little bit like, you know, upset, upset. That is the correct <laughs> word. They're kind of like, how dare you even like, you know, make this game in such a way that I have to pay so much money and now I have to, you know, to have the privilege of keep on paying for the game and etc. So the initial reception for this open beta has been lackluster. Even the most positive comment is not exactly an enthusiastic recommendation. And on top of that, they want to claim this is a quadruple A game. It's just a bad, bad taste in the mouth. That's what it's leaving. Yeah, for sure. So, of course, this is Ubisoft. They had the blueprint, right? They had Assassin's Creed, Black Flag. It was they, all they had to do was replicate that, and they they didn't do it. They did something completely different. Um, I, I, if you haven't seen people talking about the beta, there's been a lot of talk of like a lot of load screens. Everything's a cutscene where like you don't even get to board the other ships. It's just a cutscene of you boarding a ship. You can't go into the water. 
you like there's just not a lot to do there's been a lot of people that have played the beta and then they're like oh i stopped playing it because it's bored and i mean of course too it also came out at the worst time because we have one of the hottest drops that came into Helldivers 2 released on the 8th when the beta started. So I think it really got overshadowed by that because Helldivers 2 is taken off, but that's a tale for another time. Definitely. Yeah, it's just like, you know, the the fact that you know, Helldivers, Helldivers 2 is also kind of cheaper than this and more entertaining. That's where it's like a little bit of a undeserved that you can call yourself a quadruple A game or even the fact that you can charge $70 for this base game. That's like people are saying like, you know, this is this is not worth that kind of money. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, Helldivers 2 dropped uh, at, I think, $40 or something. And uh, Skull and Bones is a full-fledged $70 game. But Helldivers 2 is a live service-like game as well, which I, you know, I don't like the live service stuff. But I mean, Helldivers 2 nailed it. But again, that's... I don't want to get into that because I got a lot of things to say about Helldivers 2, but Skull and Bones, this was something I was looking forward to after seeing a lot of the reviews from people. I just, I think this is going to be a, a massive skip for me, especially with what Ubisoft has been talking about recently too, with like getting rid of your games. I, I think uh, a final point on this one, this is my theory, a tinfoil, like, you know, cover my hairline kind of theory, but... <laughs> the government? But I think... The reason they decided to add a $70 price tag, what it tells me is that Ubisoft themselves do not have much of a faith in this game. Like a game, they don't think this game is going to gain proper traction enough for people to continue playing it. So they want to get as much money as they can beforehand because this game has been in development for a long, long time. The creative leads have been you know, coming in and going out. This game has been in the limbo for so long and then finally getting released. They just want to get that investment out. So let's just put it at a $70 price tag, get the money in, and then they're going to do to this game what they did to so many of their other multiplayer games like The Crew, Assassin's Creed multiplayers, and so many other where like they decide to shut off the server when it's not popular enough. So that is what I assume is happening. It's like, let's put the $70, get as much money as we can, and then when we see that nobody is playing, it will justify us into shutting the service down and we'll focus on something else. Like if they had faith in this live service game, they would have put it out at a lower price or at free to play. And then they would have depended upon the microtransaction or whatever skin selling that they have to do. Well, that sounds kind of weird, but skin selling (laughs) that they would do in order to gain that revenue back. That's what it should have been as a live service game. If they had faith in it, they don't, they want to get that money out now. That's what I'm, that's what my, understanding or at least that's how i'm interpreting this whole thing right now yeah no i would totally agree with you i mean you know they're trying to get as much revenue back that they can so what do they do they 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 stick it at 70 dollars, and then the deluxe edition at 100 to dupe the suckers into trying to play three days early when they have server maintenance for three fucking days so you don't i mean I, i think you hit the nail on the head ari I think they're just trying to get their money back. It, it's This thing has been in development hell for so long that, and they've lost so much money on it that they just want to try to recoup something. So it makes sense. It makes sense. Well, recoup away, I guess. But I guess yeah. I'm not going to have my money in it. But you know, it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's so disappointing because like, I do like Ubisoft game. I've enjoyed the Avatar game. I enjoyed a couple of the games. And I think it's just a bad taste in the mouth. But, you know, you vote with your money, right, Ian? That's what you yeah. say. This one, I'll do a direct election on that end by not <laughs> spending <laughs> any money. But yeah. let's move on to a more 
happy news here, Ian. Let's just move on. I don't want you to be depressed with the Ubisoft guy. He keeps bringing you down. You know, we need to file like a restraining order against this for you. So, Stop doing dumb shit. <laughs> so let's move on to something that is most for happier news regarding the Nexus mod. Why don't you go ahead and take the lead on that one? Nexus mods, man. So if you don't know, Nexus mods is like probably the biggest place to get your mods for like tons and tons of games so they just surpassed 10 billion downloads to date huge and not just 10 billion downloads but they're also seeing 10 million mods downloaded every day and the number is growing i mean that to me that is huge numbers i love to see that i mean these these we're talking about mods that passionate people have made for games that they love and enjoy and they want to see more enjoyment out of it so they're making mods for Skyrim, Fallout, Stardew Valley. I mean, whatever you can think of, you can find it at Nexus Mods. It's there. Um, I mean, it's great. I love it. I love to see that. That's such fantastic news. Exactly. I think that's the best of the gaming industry. Not those people who send death threats to people, but that's the <laughs> that's the kind of game industry, you know, like we like being part of. Like, you know, people who are passionate about it want to share that passion. They do this for free, most of them. Of course, some of them might be like in a paid and et cetera, but that's nothing compared to what they're putting out. Like, so here's me saluting to all the modders from the ones who improve the graphics in Skyrim to who create <laughs> naked chunlis or whatever. Like, you know, all of them putting their passion projects into it. You know, it's very much appreciated. I don't have the capacity or the intelligence to do what they do, but I am definitely somebody who can appreciate it and enjoy it. One of my favorite mod in Nexus mod right now is for F123. You can get what you call the helmet cam mod, where like it makes it look like that you can play a game wearing the Formula One helmet and you only have that much of a limited visibility. Yeah, you're talking about just bumping up your immersion tenfold right there. Exactly, exactly. Well, so, that's, yeah, good I mean, that's good yeah, news. That's good news. Yeah, that's great news. I I, I love that. Um, so, and you know, here here's the 10 billion more or whatever, you know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. 10 billion more. Well, let's move on to the uh, <laughs> another another uh, news uh, that will probably kind of depress you a little bit. But oh, well, maybe you might find it interesting. Mm-hmm. This is the news from GameIndustry.biz. Uh, this is regarding Take-Two argues that the virtual currencies are fictions in a bid to dismiss a lawsuit. So the lawsuit was filed in November against 2K Games and parent company Take-Two Interactive with the plaintiff, uh, who is a minor being represented by the parent, accused the company of theft and unlawful business practice across NBA 2K, WWE 2K, PGA Tour 2K. Now, the plaintiff is arguing that the virtual currency that they purchased for the game should be refunded or transferred if there is any remaining once the game has been sunset. Now, they're asking a uh, kind of a monetary relief or refund for the currency that they bought that they were not able to use in the game itself uh, that now 2K has already removed. Now, Take-Two is arguing that that virtual currency is fiction. It's not real, even though you paid real money for it. And they have the right to manage, regulate, control, modify, suspend, and or eliminate the virtual currency however they want to, unless prohibited by applicable law. Now, this, you know, this may not, this is not like a higher court ruling or et cetera, but it's still an interesting kind of a battle that should, in my opinion, be kept a proper eye on see where it goes because the overall implication is very, very interesting. All of these companies that have been doing microtransactions have been doing some 
game loots and stuff like that and using fake currencies, whether you call it the super credits from the Helldivers 2 or like they can call it like Helix or from the Assassin's Creed or whatever. Now, are they going to have a real refundable currency value or not? And if they do, one of the things that this video games company are going to learn is called the developer exchange liability, which means they have to have some of the regulations regarding exchanges where you you know change your money from one currency to the other. Will that kind of regulation work on this game company or not? So that is the uh, interesting part about that news, in my opinion. Let's see where it goes or like, you know, what is going to be the implication to the whole microtransaction market. So there's a lot to say about this, right? Um, this kind of thing makes my blood boil. And this is something that we should really focus and keep an eye on, like you said, Ari. Because what this is going to set up is if Take-Two can get away with it, what kind of boundaries are they are they going to push now? And not just Take-Two, but like Ubisoft, EA, uh, anyone really that, that has a virtual currency, you know, where does the line... Where's the line? Where is it? Where's the, where's the, what's the crossing point? Where's it end? You know, do they, they don't have to refund you at all. You know, there's, we're talking about this kid. He spent money on, I uh, was it uh, NBA 2K or something. Yeah. All those kind of the sports game, the NBA yeah. 2K, WWE 2K and those kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he spends real money on that stuff. Doesn't spend it all. And what do they do? They close down servers or whatever, you know, so he doesn't have access to it. And then what they, they take that away. I mean, that's not fair in my opinion. It's really grimy. It is definitely grimy. And the weird thing is the, Ian, I think it's more likely that the system will probably favor for take two because we do have a precedent of companies that in their environment, have the ability to kind of create a currency system. For example, you go to Chuck E. Cheese, you got your child's token or whatever they call it. You go to Disneyland, you have their like, you know, game pass or like a fast pass, express pass, they have their kind of currency and et cetera. So there has been precedent where a company can create a fake currency, but oftentimes you do manage to get like something back from it if you try to do a refund, but sometimes you don't. Most of the times you don't. That's why the company might get away with it. That is the uh, concern, to be really honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm right there with you with, you know, Disney, they make they have their own currency there or whatever, Dave and Buster's, Chuck E. Cheese, stuff like that. But you can get something for that and that it doesn't expire, right? They essentially have put an expiration date on their virtual currency by sunsetting these games, right? So you should get some kind of a refund for things that aren't spent. True, true, absolutely true. Uh, that is like, and that's how most, you know, economy would probably go if it was yeah. an actual <laughs> currency, like if they're treating it as an actual currency. But that's the thing. Does the court system want to create a currency exchange system for every company that does microtransaction? That is the ultimate thing that's going to be decided by the law. Because if we look back at the Roblox uh, financial uh, like report, they have a line item on the liability called the developer exchange uh, liability, which is where the developers have Robux in their, like in a wallet or whatever, which can be transferred into actual currency when, and Robux has the, uh, not the, just the liability, but actual reason, like liability and reason, sorry. They have the liability, Roblox has the liability to refund those Robux into actual currency dollar amount. Now, is that kind of law being forced now 
on every single game developer. In my opinion, it should so that when people purchase this kind of virtual currency, they can get their money out when the game that they have purchased gets sunset. I think that is a fair thing to do. But of course, it probably is not going to how it's going to pan out. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I think uh, the court system will rule in favor of take two, that they basically don't owe them anything. And I just think that's messed up. Um, It's something we should keep an eye on for sure. Um, It's more it's more because there are precedents to fake currencies that, you know, in real economy is used, not just like, you know, it's kind of hard to kind of overcome those fake like the, the precedents that have been set up. I think a video game industry should be looked at in a different light because it has so much like spending into it. The volume is so high, but there is precedent on like this fake currency where the companies can or like don't have to refund it. It's it's a decent like in a fight in my opinion. And if the judgment holds in a different direction, it will, in my opinion, have a big repercussions. But most likely, you know, courts often are so conservative because they want to maintain a status quo, then uphold, like upheave a new kind of environment in any industry. Yeah. Uh, It's such an unusual time because, you know, what happens today is going to affect the future with video games and stuff. Like these kinds of rulings is is what is going to set the precedence for the future and how that landscape kind of turns out, right? Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, if you want to hear the latest news on the judicial judgment, you know, you stick with us. You know, you stick with the hyping <laughs> bastards. That's what we're going to cover is judicial judgments. Yeah, we'll uh, get to it eventually. <laughs> exactly. We'll be old and just reading, like, you know, uh, like, you know, Supreme Court uh, dissent or something like that in the middle of the podcast. But let's move on on that end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Like, Oculus 5 on these damn kids on my virtual lawn. Get off it. Rah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, back in my day, gas cost only three robots or something. <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, well, we'll see how that goes. I I really hope the plaintiff gets uh, some kind of like you know favorable judgment. It will definitely create, in my opinion, a better precedent where like these companies cannot just like can take your money and run like that. But we'll see how it goes. Uh, I think those are all of the news we need to cover. The only last thing I want to cover is the Microsoft Windows 11 news that came out from the Verge. It's like one of the uh, testers for Microsoft uh, Windows 11 like test versions noticed that they're trying to develop their own DLSS-like AI upscaling feature for PC games. So that'd be pretty cool. It'll just make your graphics look a lot better, which is a good thing to kind of know. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's dope. I can appreciate that. Thanks for uh, finding that or whatever, you know, that person. Yeah. (laughs) Technician guy. (laughs) Yeah. Phantom ocean three. Yes. That's his name. Uh, That's his username. Uh, Twitter username. Sorry. (laughs) But yeah, so like, you know, we'll see, hopefully we'll see a lot more application of DLSS, like AI upscaling or like, you know, even the best graphics can run in like a non straining like non-cpu or gpu straining fashion it'll make a lot more better graphics you know available for a lot of people so that'll be pretty cool cool yeah ian let's go ahead and move on to the next segment of the podcast (laughs) uh where we discuss what game we played this week right i'm going to talk about i think a very good game from last year called roller drone roller drone um so on playstation plus this is free this month um, Ari, how much did you spend on it? 
I spent 30 bucks on this game on Steam. But that's because if I had kept my eyes open, maybe I could yeah. have gotten a better deal on the Steam, like, you know, winter sale, summer sale, autumn sale or whatever. But yeah, I did spend 30 bucks price tag on this game. And I regret not having a PS5, I guess. But it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I want to say is like, you know, I think the price tag is a little bit too high for this game, right. considering what I just uh, was, was able to play. But let's just talk about the game itself, like, you know, how it holds up, in my opinion. Yeah, it does look very interesting and unique a uh, little bit of a cell shading kind of graphics sort of very strong angular kind of thing right yeah yeah, yeah. it it looks it has such a like this game uh roller drum you know uh briefly talking about it this is a game that takes place in near future of 2030 where you play as a rookie roller drum player uh somebody who's going to be on a roller skates and shoot guns that's the kind of player named kara hassan and your job is to finish up challenges fight in the roller drum, defeat enemies, and progress towards to becoming the world champion in this world. A world that is being tormented, a dystopia where a corporation is basically trying to take over almost every aspect of the society, like police and etc. So that's the world that they live in. And you as a player have absolutely no relevance to that story. You're just there to roller skate and shoot while this <laughs> better and more interesting story is happening in the background. It's always good. Um, so, and so it's a lot like a roller derby, if you don't know. So, like Ari said, you kind of roll around and you just kind of mess up other people. This, of course, you're using guns and stuff. So, Ari, I mean, how did you, how did it feel playing it? Like, did it feel good playing it, or was it kind of like a sloppy kind of control scheme? The exact opposite to that description. It feels amazing it has very simple mechanics it's not trying to make you do like roller skating simulation and gunplay simulation it takes the simple aspect of those two and it really combines it well where like your gameplay has an amazing momentum you're going fast you're doing tricks you know you're going to be on roller skating most of the time and you're going in a kind of a con consistent speed and you'll be doing some like you know going through the tubes and etc to do your tricks and then you'll be able to shoot guns to defeat the enemies at the same time the overall gameplay mechanics is simple but it's so seamlessly infused to one another that it feels like once you kind of get into the rhythm it feels like you're basically dancing into it you're like you understand how to play this game now you're going from like one trip to the other it feels like dancing almost like you're dancing in the game itself uh the sound design for shooting is really good i think it's probably one of the best ones i've heard out there it feels like you're like you know actually shooting a gun it, the sound design the soundtracks when you're like you know uh rolling across the roller drum itself it's colorful it just feels amazing everything every gameplay aspect is aligned to make it into seamless momentum after momentum building kind of gameplay yeah, so you said the uh, sound was really good. Music, good music to it too. Good music. It has very like eighties synth kind of music. It's kind of like a like the world is like the retro and futuristic aspect kind of combined together. It feels like so like you have it's twenty thirty, but your computers are big. It's twenty thirty, but most of your like you know uh, computers are giant, and like you know it feels like a Fallout. Uh, trees world where like your computers are big because they did not figure out how to do lithography whereby your computer chips can be small they had to do bigger and bigger computer did you ever watch the movie running man with I know, yeah yeah that is exact that is, that has that same vibe 
Yep. Okay. Yeah. See, I was. I, it sounded like it, so I wanted to make sure that yep. I was on point with that. That it sounds a lot like kind of like Running Man, where you got like Big Corpo is kind of trying to take over the scene and stuff. It so. is. That is the perfect description. That is exactly what it feels like. It's like a a game that would take place in Running Man. It's like you know your blood sport is like very popular, and uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's basically a Running Man kind of game. If you haven't seen that movie. Go watch it because it's fantastic. It's yeah. it's a classic Arnold movie. But getting back to to Rollerdrome now, Ari, when when you're fighting like enemies and stuff, is it usually one on ones or is there like four or five multiple enemies on the the level itself? Like, how does that kind of play out? It plays in a sense that you're fighting against twenty to thirty enemies in a level in a giant arena. God and- damn. <laughs> yeah, you're playing against a lot of enemies at the same time, and you're playing with like a lot of different kinds of enemies. Not well, I'll take that word back. You're ca- playing with different varieties of enemies, and all of these enemies—they're not located randomly, though. They're all located in the same location, no matter how many times you play it, and they don't move a lot, except for one type of enemy that can teleport. But even that teleportation is not like moving all the time. It's a specific time. All the enemies are located in the same location. It's never randomized. So you know where they are going to be every time you play. Now, that helps you because you're trying to do a lot of uh, challenges regarding how you shoot enemies and gain points and etc. The way the game works is that you enter an arena with your roller skate and guns, which includes dual pistols or shotgun or uh, many other different kinds of other weapons too. But Basically, what do you end up doing? Or like a laser weapon and etc. But what you do is that you go into the arena, you start killing and shooting enemies and try to survive. And then you do tricks to refill your ammo. Ammos, and you okay. have a limited amount of ammos. Yeah. The way you refill your health is by defeating the enemy and obtaining the health from that. And to replenish your ammo, you have to do the ollies and grinds and tricks and etc. <laughs> and that's how you continue to play and defeat the level. And... Each time you defeat the level, you progress. Like you know, do you uh, you progress based upon how fast you finish or how many challenges you complete? And ultimately, at the end, you become the world champion after you finish all of the levels. And overall, like the game, that's how it overall kind of runs. And it's pretty yeah. short on that end. Like you know, a couple of levels, uh, you can finish this game in like five hours and stuff. Okay. Um. Real quick, so the enemies, I take it, they're kind of just, like, hyper-focused on you. Like, they don't, like, try to go after each other or anything like that. They're kind of mainly just hyper-focused on you. It's you against the enemy. Sorry, I I was talking so long, I forgot the trail of the question. I'm glad you reiterated it. But yes, you're you're basically fighting with the uh, lots of enemies. Uh, They're all focused on you. And later on, I'll talk a little bit about a few complaints on that game. But yeah, uh, you're basically fighting with enemies like grunts who attack you physically, uh, enemies that have machine guns uh, like snipers or there are enemies who use uh, like a uh, surface to like air like missiles <laughs> for the lack of a better word and there are enemies that have like you know uh, kind of a laser weapons there are enemies that do stomping from the air and then you have one big boss like a spider robot like that comes up at the end of every level but there's no variety on those enemies and that's about it those are the same enemies you're going to see again and again and again Oh, that kind of sucks. Um, yeah, it does. It does. That is a complaint later on. I'll talk about it. But yeah. So real quick, like, what was your favorite weapons that you like to use that you like always just kind of defaulted back to? I think my favorite was either the shotgun, which helps you do like stagger damage and stuff like that, 
but it doesn't have a good range. Or you can use the dual pistols, which is like, you know, fast, kind of like an attack, but not a huge amount of damage. I would usually go for the dual pistols most of the time, but shotgun is the one you want to do if you're doing a lot of close range kind of attack. And it has a little bit more like, you know, it rewards you for timing your shotgun attacks once in a while, which helps you stagger and increase the damage on your enemies. So those are the two that I usually uh, switch between. There was a laser weapon, which is a more long range and Sorry, uh, laser weapon. God, I'm sorry. Laser weapons, I got you. Laser weapons. (laughs) Laser weapons. Yeah, that's right. God, uh, English is not my first language. Or second. (laughs) uh, Basically, uh, like, you know, you have those long range kind of weapon for lasers. Uh, But yeah, the shotgun and dual pistols were my go-to weapons most of the time. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, shotguns are usually a personal favorite of mine too. And, And you get... Grenade launcher launchers as well. Nice. So I can, like I can totally mess with that. <laughs> yeah, that one is good for like your big boss battles and stuff. Um now real quick, uh one last one I want to ask you. How did like the levels like how did you get to them? Was there like a level select menu or is it kind of like a free like like there's like a hub or like do you just kind of roll around and just come across the levels? Like how do you get to your level, so to say? It's arena by arena. So you unlock a level after you complete the challenges and move forward with proper scores and points. So you unlock the next arena uh, based upon how you play the previous one. But after you unlock it, you can always go back to finish up the rest of the challenges as well. So you're not really beholden to it. The, it It is a linear progression and you're not really traveling too much. There's very few scenes between the levels, like, Outside of the roller drum, there's just like, you know, you're in a locker room, uh, you get a little bit of notes here and there to kind of flesh out the background and stories and stuff, but it's not as important. So you move from level to level linearly after you finish up the challenges and you progress in the game as you do in your championship. So it's kind of kind of like a hub that you go back to once you complete the level or your challenges and stuff, and then you can either select that arena again, or you can move on to the next one if you've completed it enough. Yeah, basically, you want to call it a hub. It's just a menu. Yeah, you're right. It's it's like, you know, it's not going to behold you to the same. Like, you can always go back and finish up the challenges that you did not do in your first game playthrough and gain more points and stuff like that. But to unlock the next one linearly, you have to finish up challenges beforehand. Gotcha. The game has a very steep learning curve, I want to mention on that end. So, like, it does get you through the tutorial uh, as well, but, like, you can often like, you know, you can learn pretty fast, but in order to be fluent and master at this, like really enjoy it, you do have to do a little bit of practice and you do have to kind of like, you know, play the levels again and again. And there's a reward to it. Like, you know, the satisfaction you get out of playing it again and really learning how to go from momentum to momentum and without like in any kind of break, that is really satisfactory that is very satisfaction towards it, like if you try to do it and play that way, rather than how I played, it was like, oh, I struggled through again and again and again, and then restart it again and again, and like, you know, okay, I killed the enemy, now I have to roam around until I find the other enemies. Now, if I was a better player, I would know where my enemies are going to be anyway, so I would know how to take the momentum from one kill and go to the other kill. Like, that's what a really good player can do on that end. Yeah, so more like basically you want to kind of be fluid with it, like you said, kind of like a dance and just kind of the fluid motions and stuff that kind of just move through the level. Exactly. That's that's how like a really good expert play would be like. The, the thing is like 
it's such a short game. It's most value comes out of playing it again and again from the same arena. Uh, once you are really good at it, you will be able to do it in a, such a natural manner and then you'll find the real beauty of that game at that moment. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that if you're a new player that you'll be stuck until you finish up all the challenges and you won't be able to move forward. That's not true. The game has a very good assist mechanism that allows you to kind of really cater the easiness, the how much easier you want your gameplay to be. In fact, it can also like, you know, for example, normally you'd have to finish up challenges to unlock the next level, but you can turn on the assist that prevents, that, you know, that requires you not to do it. So like after you finish up the level without the challenges being done, you can still move to the next arena if you turn that assist on. Or like assist where like you can have infinite bullets or assist where uh, you can have like a, invincibility so that you can focus more on how fast you finish the game versus whether you stay alive or not like mm. there's a lot of assists that can help you with like how to play the game and you're not going to be stuck uh, in a particular level if you really don't want to be stuck and just want to finish the game I gotcha so give me some complaints man what are you some complaints I want to well, hear my biggest complaint is that this game is not $30 worth it's a good game it's an absolutely <laughs> great game but like I played On Guard, which is about the same length as this one. And that was like about $14. Like maybe my mistake was that buying this at a wrong time. If I had just looked up maybe some deal or like, you know, I don't know, Christmas deal or something like that, maybe I would have found it at a better deal at that you know moment. What you, done? you know what you should have done? You should have saved money by buying a PS5 and then getting it on PS5 for free. <laughs> I cannot tell you the... <laughs> jerk off motion that is in my heart for that <laughs> comment right there the jerk off motion that is in my heart Ian I'll just say it man yeah oh, yeah sure pay what like $500 to play this $30 <laughs> game okay sure why not for free. you know what yeah you know what I'll go tell the Ubisoft guy like this and hey Ian's your best friend you know he loves everything you do <laughs> like that'd be the compatible of how much of an insult that is but Going for, that's the biggest complaint, but it's still a fun game. It, I had a good time playing this game. The other complaint was that this game felt like it was basically a compromised game. Like if there's like some DNA of this game where like I can see what additional they the developers probably wanted to add in this game, but they could not because of either time or cost. For example, this is a roller drone game. Why don't I have other roller dromers? Like, where are the roller skaters that I have to battle against? Why am I the only one on roller skates? Like, the enemies are not on roller skates. They're in the same static place as they will always be. Like, I would have assumed, like, a really awesome gameplay would be if I'm competing with other, like, you know, AI or players and then fighting against them, you know, as they're going through roller skates as well and defeating enemy using that. Like, that is the game that I would have assumed this is what it was going to be when I first bought it. But I'm not going to complain in a sense that, you know, I'm not going to complain about a game that is not. I'd rather just complain about the game it is. But I wish it was a lot more like, you know, with more roller skaters around. That would have made the game so much better. Yeah, honestly, when I first saw this game come out, I thought that that's how it was going to be. Was that there was other people like skating around and you were kind of fighting them and stuff like that. From what you're saying, where they're mostly kind of stationary enemies and stuff like that. Yeah. It, it seems unusual to me, but that's the, the, you know, that's the focus that the developer wanted to go in or the, yeah. the way that the developer wanted to take the game. So you can't really knock it, I guess. 
you don't really know why. Like maybe that was the original vision or not, but you can see the DNA because like there are other roller skaters in the universe story, like Casper X, which I think sounds like Jackie X, who's like the real racer from 1970s and 80s. Uh, that character is supposed to be an antagonist, but you never see him. Like, you know, you never fight against him. I thought there was going to be a battle where like I have to go up against him, not just this spider robot for the third fucking time I've already <laughs> defeated before. And... <laughs> The whole like story has this kind of like a 1970s. You know that movie Rush, with uh, uh the guy who plays Thor, Chris Hemsworth, and uh like Nikki Lauda and like you know James Hunt kind of Formula One race kind of story. Like this has that kind of vibe. With, like there's like a, a person who's like you know who's uh much more of a veteran, and you're going up against them on the background. You never see them on the arena itself. Like. There is no rival. There is no other character to root against. You know, like we're a protagonist, a silent protagonist who don't even do anything in the world at all. No impact. We just play our game and shut the fuck up about it. But there is like a whole story about a uh, like the current champion going up against that corporation who's trying to take over the police force in the world, and the corporation plan out a way to kill her during the game. Like there's a whole story happening in there. But we don't get to see anything about it. We just read notes about it. And, like, there's no additional, like, you know, antagonist or anything that we go up against. And yeah. I just it's, more just a, it's more just a big corpora that you're going against, right? I mean, it, not even that. Like, we're not even going that. We're just playing roller drone. Like, and there's a whole story <laughs> happening in the background. But where's this here? Like, what is our purpose in this world kind of thing happening? It's like, what are we doing here? You know, like, we don't have any part in it. There is no backstory for us. There is nothing at all. We're just rookie. And, Another kind of complaint is that, you know, there's just no other, well, roller skaters to fight against, but your enemies are not very, like, you know, diverse either. You're going to see the same enemy again and again, and your main boss battle that you do is literally that same spider robot again and again. So it's a short game, but, like, you know, it's like uh, you don't have to do it too many times. It's like that one joke uh, where, like, two women are in a restaurant, they're talking to one another, they complain hey, the food here is so bad. And the other woman said, yeah, and the food is in small amount too. Like, you know, it's a bad food. Like, it's a, like, it's not, it's not, it's like, it's, like the gameplay is not as diverse, but at least it's short. It's a kind of a weird complaint to me. Yeah. So it's, it doesn't like, you don't kind of feel slogged playing it because it's over kind of so quickly. Yeah. So like, there's a compliment that I can give, but at the same time, there's an insult attached to it. Yeah. Like, back kind of going back and back. <laughs> Exactly. And then an insult that has a compliment attached to it. Mm-hmm. Et cetera. So like, but overall, I had a great time with this game. There's a lot of fun game to kind of play. Overall, for me, this game is a solid B plus to A minus. Uh, big complaint, the price tag is a little bit too high for me on that Steam. But I'm sure by the time somebody comes around to play this game, it's going to be kind of a, a little bit better discount, in my opinion. I hope it gets a little bit more kind of like, you know, visibility because... It's a good game to kind of either put a movie or a animation, like, you know, on it, like a TV show on it. It's a really good, in my opinion, the world is like the Detroit uh, from uh, RoboCop or like Running Man kind of story, like a blood sport story. It, I think we need more stuff like that. It'd be pretty cool to have like a either TV show or a, like a more fleshed out world of this place uh, available for us to enjoy. Yeah, I mean, it definitely looks unique, and uh, you got to give props to the developers for kind of trying something a little bit different, you know? Um, it, it doesn't look bad. 
It won so, a BAFTA, which is pretty good, I guess. You know, <laughs> I guess British British awards for fine tea or something like that. I <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think BAFTA is just basically their Oscars or something. I guess whatever. I don't know, but I will say that I did pick it up on PS Plus. Uh, I I do kind of want to play it because I remember being a little interested in it when I first saw it. So I hope in the future that I can get around to it. But uh, I got some uh, planets to liberate first, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I do I do know what you mean, man. Not just planet, but our super Earth, you know. So, yeah, <laughs> overall, to cap it off, game A- minus to B+. Plus, so, like, you know, it's a solid game. Play it. Definitely recommend it. It's good to support indie game developers like these who are taking chances with the different kind of, you know, visual aesthetics and gameplay. Good. I'm not going to call this game that Tony's, Tony Hawk with, like, guns. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's a different kind of thing. Tony Hawk's. With a gun. No, no, no. Let's not go over there, okay? I'm sick and tired of that description. Every time I looked up this game, that's the same description comes up. But moving on, you and I, Ian, have been playing a little bit of Helldivers 2. We have not been able to play it together yet, which I hope we get to do it pretty soon, and then we can give our full opinion and review by the next episode. Oh, yeah. I I have a lot to say on this game, honestly. Um, So next episode... I am all for talking about it. Um, I bought a uh, gaming mouse uh, that has multiple buttons just so I can have a little bit better uh, kind of a uh, ergonomics when I play it. So I'm still kind of getting used to it. I'll probably be playing with my keyboard and mouse. Uh, so hopefully when you're ready, Ian, let's go Let's go kill some bugs. Or some uh, some Terminators. I mean, either or. <laughs> <laughs> or Terminators. The yeah. Terminators. Or Terminators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think that's all for our episode today. Anything else to add on your end? Nah, man. I, um... Hey, you know what? You know what I have to add? Yeah, go ahead. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, you make me blush. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great, Ari. I love it. Yeah, absolutely, dude. This is our 11th episode now. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been having a pretty good time. We've learned how to, you know, do this podcast in a much more easier and convenient manner for both of us. And I hope Efficiency. we can see. Yeah, exactly. And it allows us to keep on doing it for a long time to come, hopefully. You know, uh, this year will be the one where we'll, like, you know, really put our effort into it and do it consistently, week by week and really try to put our best form and opinions out there. Yeah, and, you know, hopefully uh, shed some light to our lovely viewers or listeners. And, you know... With that being said, let's wrap it up. Uh, Well, thank you for listening to Hyping Bastards. If you'd like to reach out to us, our email is hypingbastards at gmail.com. And we also have a YouTube channel if you want to put it on your second or third or fourth or fifth monitor while putting on the background and just listen to our sweet, sweet uh, mispronunciation in English and the beautiful voice that Ian has. So thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.